Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. And I'm Ebony Monet. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization that oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. We're highlighting the tallest land mammal, giraffes. Their height and unique spot patterns make them a real standout. We're talking about why giraffes have become increasingly vulnerable in the wild and how San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is working with its partners, including local communities, to help protect them. But first, let's find out what makes a giraffe so unique. Rick, do giraffes have any characteristics that stand out most to you? Oh, yes, Ebony. They definitely have many characteristics that stand out to me. You might even say it's a long list. Seriously, though, there are a lot of different things that make giraffes unique. I mean, gosh, where can we start? I guess the adaptations, there's so many of them. Like, have you ever noticed how long their eyelashes are? Yes, I actually have. <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day. They remind me of that character, Snuffleupagus, with the, the, long, uh, yes. the long lashes flapping. Yes. Well, giraffes' eyelashes are real. They're not put on by, you know, puppeteers. Uh, giraffes have eyelashes that are indeed more for function than fashion. Although I, I will say I have toured a lot of people around to meet our giraffes and they do comment how beautiful their eyelashes are. But these long hairs protect their eyes from dust, blowing sand, and even from the sun because they are so big. And, and even other debris that might get in the eye. I mean, often, if you think about it, they eat a lot of food from up in the trees. They're pushing their head into there to get those yummy leaves. So those eyelashes are there to protect them. Eyes are sensitive. And while those eyelashes are also protecting the eyes, uh, some scientists believe they might act like whiskers on a cat's face. So as they put their face into the tree there, uh, their favorite tree being the acacia tree, uh, there can be thorns and other twigs. These eyelashes then kind of warn the giraffe when their, their face is getting too close to something that might damage the eye. That's amazing, and it makes complete sense why they have those beautiful eyelashes. But I also noticed something else that stands out. It's like these fuzzy horns on, on their heads. I'm sure you know what I'm referring to. Are, <laughs> are they indeed horns? What are they for? Yeah, they, they, you know, and it's funny because I think a lot of times we see a giraffe face and those, as you call them, fuzzy horns, kind of blend into the shape of the skull. We don't really think about it until we see them up close, but it's unique to the giraffe family. So both males and females have these two distinct hair-covered ossicones. And so ossicones are basically a term for a conical shape or a cone-type shape, meaning it's wider at the base and narrow at the top. They are covered with skin, but it is a bone structure that is actually attached to the skull. So ossicones are different from horns or antlers because of the way they are permanently covered with skin and fur, and they are attached to the skull. Horns are made of keratin, like our fingernails. They grow out of a cuticle spot from the top of the head, but they aren't actually attached to the skull. And antlers, they are calcium, so just like a bone, but they grow out of a spot on the head that sort of seeds this growth and it's seasonal. So once the antlers grow out, they are initially covered with skin and fur to feed the bone growth. Then that skin and fur dies off and you have the bare antlers that we are accustomed to seeing like on, on reindeer or, or other deer. But then seasonally, those antlers will fall off and then regrow the next season. These ossicones are permanent. So it, like I said, in the males and females, they both have them. But the males do have thicker ossicones that can, I should say, become bald on the top because they use them to battle other males. 
So similar to species with horns and antlers, male giraffes will use their ossicones as weapons when battling to see who gets to be in charge. Uh, the activity, though, it's kind of funny. It's called necking because the two males will kind of stand shoulder to shoulder next to each other instead of butting heads or, or grappling like we tend to see uh, other animals do. And they'll swing their heads really hard towards each other on these long necks and they'll whack each other with these ossicones. So it does kind of peel the skin off as they smack each other around with this. Now, it's usually not enough to really damage the other opponent so much as uh, it, it whoever kind of backs down first, and which is kind of interesting because the oscones get thicker and bigger as the males get older. So you tend to see your older males be the dominant ones. That's so interesting. I never have thought of giraffes as battling or, or fighting in any way. So that's new information for me. And we can't talk about standout characteristics of giraffes without also touching on their heights, just how tall they are. Is it true, Rick, that they're tall because of, of what they need to reach, what they're, what they're eating? Let's kind of paint this picture for our audience, too, Ebony. If a giraffe was standing outside of a two-story building, it could look in the window quite easily with all four feet on the ground. So, you know, you're talking anywhere from 16 to, to almost 19 feet in height. But then when it comes to why they are so tall, there are two main thoughts on this topic. So since about the 1800s, kind of along what you were saying, it was thought that giraffes have evolved these long necks to reach the foliage or, or leaves that they like to eat high in the trees. Now, the question does come into play, though. There are other species that will eat from these trees that haven't developed this long neck. So the other thought as to why they have such long necks is due to what we mentioned before, the way the males battle for rights to breed. They do this necking behavior, so the longer the neck, the, the harder they hit, basically, they get the more velocity of the head. So the longer the neck means they're the taller individual, which means they become dominant, and therefore the taller dominant individual gets the right to breed, and their genetics pass on to the next generation. And so it kind of compounds and builds over the evolution of the species. So it may not be the only reason for their, their height, but what exactly do they eat? We've all seen the images of them eating leaves from tall trees. Are they picky like the other leaf eaters we've spoken about, the koala? <laughs> well, they're not quite like koalas as far as that. They are strict herbivores, yes. But they aren't quite as picky as the koalas on as far as what species. Now, they do, of course, prefer certain uh, species such as, as the acacia tree tends to be one of their favorites. That they're well known for being adapted to eating because some of these acacia trees have these long thorns. Uh, but, you know, aside from a few of their favorites, uh, they do, you know, they do consume a wide variety of different things that are available depending upon what season it is, if it's, if it's a dry season or not. Now, keep in mind, these are big animals. Uh, an adult giraffe can consume up to about 75 pounds of food a day. That's, that's a lot of leaves. You think about 75 pounds of leaves. And they'll spend most of their day just kind of browsing and eating because they usually just get a few leaves with every bite. So that's a lot of time spent eating. And of course, this leaf eating behavior does lead to another amazing adaptation, one, one that people tend to be quite surprised at when they see them up close eating. And without fingers and thumbs, picking leaves all day long, 75 pounds of leaves could be tedious. But with an 18-inch prehensile tongue, well, that's not a problem. What exactly is a prehensile tongue? Well, prehensile, I'm glad you asked that because I sometimes forget uh, not everyone knows all the terms we use when it comes to our animals. So a prehensile tongue or a prehensile tail, all of it just means uh, something that has the ability to grasp. So, for example, our hands technically are prehensile because we can grasp things with them. So in the case of the giraffe, it's their tongue. It's prehensile. It's long. It's grasping tool that allows them to easily pull the leaves off the branches of tall trees. And here's the fun part. If you happen to see 
a giraffe eating, you'll also notice something else about that tongue. It's very dark in color. Now, it's believed that this helps prevent the tongue from getting sunburned because the, the dark pigmentation or dark color prevents the sun from burning the skin. And this is important, of course, because, again, if your mouth is open all day long, pulling leaves off of branches, pointing upwards and, you know, in the trees, the sun's going to be right there uh, beating down on you. What do wildlife care specialists at the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park do to mimic the giraffe's eating patterns? Yeah, it's pretty funny. You know, you can go through the San Diego Zoo or the Safari Park, Ebony, and you'll see sometimes our wildlife care specialists just observing and watching the animals. And it's like, oh, well, that must be a nice part of the job just to watch animals. But what they're doing is they're thinking of very creative ways to either enrich the experience of, of being in that space for the animal or maybe thinking of new ways they can deliver food to their species. So when it comes to giraffe, of course, you know, you got to think, how can I place food in the right spot for them that, that's going to be appropriate but still interesting? We're talking, you know, 16 to 18 feet up in the air. So for a lot of the things we offer, we'll use a pulley system similar to how you might raise a flag of a flagpole. But instead of a flag, it's a bundle of hay or a, a bushel of acacia leaves, and, you know, still attached to the branch for them to enjoy and pick off just like they would uh, if they were in Africa. Rick, giraffes seem so docile, like peaceful animals. I would imagine that they'd be vulnerable to predators in nature. Is that like an accurate perception? Well, I mean, I would say yes and no. And, and this, is, this is why it's kind of a yes and no. Although they look pretty docile, I mean, a full-grown adult giraffe commands respect out there in the savanna, even from lions. Those long legs, you know, you're talking anywhere from five to six and a half feet in length. They're very powerful and they can deliver an accurate kick capable of killing a lion or a hyena with just one kick. And, and also keep in mind, at the end of those long, powerful legs is a hoof that measures about 30 centimeters, almost 12 inches in diameter. Wow. I never imagined a giraffe killing a lion or a hyena. So that's that's very interesting. Um, do the lion and hyena still prey on the giraffe? What are the giraffe's main predators? Yeah, you know, the adult giraffes usually don't have to worry about predators. Now, of course, like we see in many species, predators will try to go for those that might be, you know, really old and weak or the young ones. And that's kind of the case for giraffe. The youngsters, they need to stick close to mom for a while to make sure she can protect them from these lions and hyenas and, and even leopards. And then older giraffe, they need to stick close to the main herd as they age because they might not be able to defend themselves as well as the more agile uh, younger adults would. Giraffe populations are on the decline, which makes San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's giraffe conservation work just that much more essential. What can you tell us about the program? Well, the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance focuses on eight conservation hubs around the world. And luckily for the giraffe, one of those hubs is the African savanna. So this is their home. This is where they are naturally found. When we partner with allies in these areas, we connect with our experts, uh, other nonprofits, private and academic organizations, as well as local communities. And that's really important because the local communities really understand the species and the environment. And working together with all of these entities, we're creating a world where all life thrives. And coming up, we're talking to one of San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's scientists who works in Kenya to learn more about the conservation efforts to save the giraffe. But first, this. This. 
Now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Safari Park Minute, an opportunity for you to learn what's new. You can watch the giraffes at the safari park without leaving the comfort of your home. Giraffe Cam allows you to watch our giraffes in our 100-acre African savanna habitat live 12 hours a day. Fun fact, on our giraffe cam, you will see both adults and their young. And when they are born, giraffe young are about six feet tall and weigh about 220 pounds. Talk about a big baby. And if you're lucky, you just may see a baby nursing while tuning in at sdzsafaripark.org. The giraffe population has unfortunately declined more than 30% over the last three decades. Giraffes are hunted and traded on the illegal market. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance scientist Dr. Kirsty Rupert works with the Twigo Walensi, a group that protects giraffes in northern Kenya. She joins us now to tell us more. Hi, Dr. Rupert. Hi. So how many giraffes remain in the wild? So best estimates sit at about 117,000 individuals left in the wild. This is based on estimates from Giraffe Conservation Foundation and their numerous collaborators. What this means is that for every one giraffe, there are about three to four African elephants left. And unless these species are protected, they'll continue to decline. And these giraffe population levels really differ in the 21 African countries where giraffe remain. In Kenya, where we support giraffe conservation, Kenya Wildlife Service estimates about 34,000 individuals left. So what is the Twiga Walensi, or should I say, who are the Twiga Walensi? Yes, so Twiga Walensi translates to giraffe guards in Swahili, which is a national language of Kenya. So Twiga Walensi are the group of individuals we work with on giraffe conservation. All members of this 15-person team are from the local communities with whom we partner, and they carry out all of our field studies on giraffe, the monitoring programs, and community strategies. They're using methods like surveys with motion-activated trail cameras, monitoring along roads, classifying vegetation types, and conducting interviews with community members. So you said it translates to giraffe guards. Why is it necessary to guard giraffes in northern Kenya? So the type of giraffe that live in northern Kenya are called reticulated giraffe. The word reticulated means a net-like pattern. So if you look up a picture of reticulated giraffe, you'll see this really beautiful, distinctive coat pattern. And the range of reticulated giraffe, so that means where they're currently living, is most likely contained only to the northern Kenya region. And so this population there has been in pretty steady decline over the last 30 years to about 15,000 individuals today. So within this range, the vast majority falls outside of formally protected areas. And to save reticulated giraffe, we really need to be working with private and community landowners. And that's what we're doing with Twigo Lindsay. Can you tell us more about the work of the Twigo Lindsay? Are they helping to stop poaching? Yeah, so their skills primarily center around scientific research and community outreach. They're not law enforcement personnel. They work alongside the conservancy rangers. Those conservancy rangers are the security that are trained and equipped and work in concert with Kenya's national police. So there's definitely an aspect 
of patrol effort to help stop anti-poaching. But what's unique about Twiggo Lindsay's contributions is that they're really ambassadors for giraffe in these places. They've built trust with community members and their position in these communities make engagement strategies possible and really foster participation by community members to safeguard giraffe with them. So Dr. Rupert, you've researched the drivers of illegal giraffe use and trade. What did you find? So the reasons for and extent of giraffe use varies pretty widely throughout Africa, those 21 countries I mentioned. This means that a one-size-fits-all approach is really not going to effectively put a stop to giraffe poaching. So turning back to Kenya, where the Twiga Walensi work, all hunting of giraffe is illegal and has been for a while. But the threat of poaching is still present. And in northern Kenya, this primary use of giraffe is for its meat. We've documented reduced levels of giraffe meat consumption since the Twiga Walensi started. But because giraffe are used as a food source, we really have to handle this challenge carefully. A current study we're doing is assessing the specific circumstances of two particular behaviors. Why, when, and how are giraffe hunted? And how is meat obtained? And we're also asking community members about their ideas for alternatives. And this is so our strategies are designed around both our scientific findings and community support. So if you said the primary um, motivation for hunting giraffes is consumption, but is this like a common practice? How is it perceived in that region? Yeah, good question. So in northern Kenya, in the communities where we're working, these are pastoralist communities, which means that primary livelihood is keeping and herding livestock. That livestock is also used as an essential source of protein and as a food source in some difficult times that food source can no longer be maybe as dependable. In those cases, um, we're concerned that people would need to turn to wild meat for nutrition and sustenance. I will say, though, that the motivations for consuming giraffe meat may differ between different subgroups within a community. And so our strategies that we design will really be meant to target those subgroups uh, around the specific motivations that they hold. I also want to note that for the most part in northern Kenya, where Twiga Lindsay are working. And in that way, our strategies are really best situated at that community level. And you touched on it by strategies, but with this research, how does this information ultimately help with conservation? So we believe it's really important for conservation to be designed with the input and the participation of the people that are going to be most impacted. So the information we collect through community interviews, community discussions, regular outreach, all of that is feeding back into Twiga Lindsay's goals and activities. And then more broadly, what we learn can be shared with others working on giraffe conservation, as well as Kenya Wildlife Service's national plan to recover and protect giraffes into the future. Dr. Rupert, we've been speaking about the species and the different species what makes a, a different species, just briefly for maybe our younger audience? One way that scientists define what makes a species is whether individuals can breed together for multiple generations. The other factors that are considered are genetic differences, as well as kind of morphology, so the shape of something like a giraffe skull or other body parts, 
as well as geographic spread. Are these populations distinct in different areas? And that's another important consideration when thinking through giraffe conservation in Kenya. Where are these different types of giraffe living? How do those threats to the specific giraffe populations differ? And the ultimate goal is to protect giraffes and giraffe conservation. Why does this matter so much? How does that impact conservation efforts? So consensus is important when we think about the different threats and conservation statuses of giraffe populations. Uh, This can range from critically endangered giraffe populations in northern Africa to stable populations in southern Africa. And I mentioned that Kenya has three different types of giraffe. Well, Kenya Wildlife Service has this national framework for planning and organizing giraffe conservation strategies with partners like San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance specific to those different giraffe types. And that planning really helps prioritize what conservation actions are needed and where. And it also helps us all work together to coordinate these efforts. One outcome of this work is improved methods for monitoring and counting giraffe. So Dr. Rupert, people listening at home, what can they do to help? Anyone can join as a volunteer on our project by visiting a website called wildwatchkenya.org. And this platform helps anybody access our field camera images and work to sort those for us and with us, really speeding up how quickly we can get our scientific findings into conservation management plans like Kenya Wildlife Service's National Framework. So if you go to wildwatchkenya.org, you can help us process these different images as well as see beautiful wildlife from northern Kenya at the same time from anywhere in the world, your couch, the grocery store line, the car. And it is really helping. So we appreciate all of our Wild Watch Kenya volunteers. That sounds like a great way to help from home. And it sounds like fun, too. So talk to me about knowing that your work is helping with the cause of saving and protecting wildlife, including the draft. I'm what's called a conservation social scientist, which means that I get to help understand why people behave certain ways, as well as find community strategies that uh, really fit and align with community goals as well. It's been an honor to work in these places in Northern Kenya and with Twigo Lindsay, meeting so many different community members and community leaders to really see the progress we have so far, as well as knowing that these communities will you know, protect giraffe into the future. Dr. Kirsty Rupert with the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's Giraffe Conservation Program. Thanks so much for sharing. Great work by you and the entire team. Thank you, everybody. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and tune into next week's episode, which will bring you the story of flightless birds that are, well, very well dressed for the job. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton. Our executive producer is Marcy DePina. Our audio engineer and editor is Amita Ganatra, with assistance from Matt Stillo and James Foster. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.